Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast series focusing on critical business decisions. Brought to you by Brady Ware and Company. Brady Ware is a regional, full-service accounting and advisory firm that helps businesses and entrepreneurs make visions a reality. And welcome to Decision Vision, the podcast giving you, the listener, clear vision to make great decisions. In each episode, discuss the process of decision-making on a different topic from the business owner's or executive's perspective. We aren't necessarily telling you what to do, but we can put you in a position to make an informed decision on your own and understand when you might need help along the way. My name is Mike Blake, and I'm your host for today's program. I'm a director at Brady Ware & Company, a full-service accounting firm based in Dayton, Ohio, with offices in Dayton, Columbus, Ohio, Richmond, Indiana, and Alpharetta, Georgia. Brady Ware is sponsoring this podcast, which is being recorded in Atlanta per social distancing protocols. If you like this podcast, please subscribe in your favorite podcast aggregator, and please consider leaving a review of the podcast as well. So today's topic is, should I fire my underperforming employee? And uh, we're, we're getting back a little bit to normal topics. We still do have a couple of, of, uh, of COVID-related business topics that are along the way, but uh, every once in a while, it is it is nice to at least sort of pretend that we're back to normal. And, and at some point, this whole thing is this whole thing is going to end. Um, we are going to return to work. We are going to reopen restaurants and uh, and and cafes and bars and hotels. And God help us, some of us will actually get back on cruise ships as well. Um, but um, uh, you know, we we do have to. We, we do have businesses to run, and, and although something like a quarter of the economy, maybe almost a third, has an effect, had the pause button put on it, that still means that two-thirds, three-quarters of the economy is still running in some fashion. And, and, and uh, my hope is that most of you that are listening are in that two-thirds to, to three-quarters that are still functioning, and, uh, but if you're not, we certainly wish you a, uh, a speedy transition to whatever positive outcome awaits you over the horizon. <clears throat> and um, speaking of positive outcomes, um, today's topic is, should I fire my underperforming employee? And, and why do I say that that's a positive outcome? Well, we're going to learn just how important it is to make a decision as to whether or not an employee is going to make it. Because one of the things you learn as you uh, as you hire and manage people, is that certain underperforming employees are uh, represent a disproportionate draw of management time and energy, employee morale, and overall organizational um, effectiveness. And it, it actually reminds me of a, uh, a verse from an Elton John song called Empty Garden, which was published, which was uh, put out in 1982. And it was a song about the assassination of John Lennon. And, and one, of, uh, one of the lyrics in that song written by Bernie Taupin is, it's funny how one insect can damage so much grain. Um, and uh, an, under, an underperforming employee can indeed uh, damage a ton of grain. If you have 100 employees and one person is is just not making it it's more than a one percent reduction in overall effectiveness of the organization and and this topic is is particularly poignant today because um as i sit here recording this or we sit here recording this on april 10th um we have seen something on the order of 12 million people uh in the last four weeks uh, declare themselves as unemployed, and that's probably un- that's probably undercounting because the uh, the phone lines are jammed up like a like a talk show host basically, and you, you can't you, you can't get in. Um, so they're, they're, all of a sudden the music stopped, and we found out there are a lot fewer chairs than there are people that that that, that want to want to fill them. And then it's it's hard to ignore the reality that. Um, Almost four years ago, we elected a president. Um, whether you love him or not love him, the fact of the matter is uh, he his claim to fame in the last twenty years has been the catchphrase "You're fired," right? And 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 I, th- I think that has created a lot of mystique um, 
around him and and really shows just how how important it is to fire people at the, the right people at, at the right time because I think a lot of the appeal of that of that catchphrase and the show The Apprentice is that um, everybody has worked with somebody in their career that just is desperately begging to be fired. And, and when they're not, right, and when it takes a long time for that person to be fired, if they ever are, I mean, the Peter principle would say that they're promoted. Um, but, 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 but that person can, can, can be so toxic to the organization and people who've had to, who had to live with, work around, accommodate somebody who just is not a constructive part of the team, whether it's due to personality, temperament, um, professional competence, or some cocktail of the three, um, that, that makes life miserable for people who come to a job every day that they otherwise like. And I, and I think it's that visceral, um, I think it's that visceral connection with having to put up with somebody who doesn't belong in the organization. Um, but, but, but the people who are running the organization may not necessarily be as be close to that situation. And so that scenario is allowed to fester. And, and therefore, when you see that play out on TV, I think there are a lot of people that sort of stand up and cheer. Now, I've never actually seen the show. I'm sort of going on on what I've heard about it. But I do think there's something to that. I do think there's something to that um, uh, to that mindset. And, um, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Um, joining us today to help us kind of work through this is, is Peter Rosen. And, and I'm glad, I'm so glad we have him on. And I'll, I'll introduce him formally in a second. Um, but, but firing an employee is a, is a traumatic experience, right? Even though it's necessary, uh, I, I think any cancer patient, and I have not been one, thank God, uh, but will tell you that, that excising and removing a tumor, uh, particularly if it's, a, if it's of any size, is a, is a traumatic experience. Um, it, it, is, it is painful. It can take a long time to recover from that. And even though it is necessary for the ongoing health of the body, um, it is still a difficult thing to do. And it probably should be a difficult thing to do. I, I don't think it's a good idea for businesses or employers to take a cavalier attitude to, um, to firing people. Um, that, that's not a good idea either because it creates, a, it creates a highly politicized environment in the organization. It, it leads to mistrust. It leads to management by fear. And, and management by fear can work for a small amount of time, but it generally does not work well in, in, in the long run. And I'm highly suspicious of, of anybody who, who claims that they're very comfortable firing people. It usually means they've done that a lot. And if people find they have to fire employees a lot, um, the problem may not lie with the employees, but we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that in a second. So joining us today is my friend, Peter Rosen, who is president of HR Strategies and Solutions, a boutique consultancy firm addressing the unmet human resource and organizational needs of uh, companies from startups to large organizations. Um, uh, Human Resources Strategies and Solutions provides human resources leadership and expertise. They enable growth, improve efficiency, and prevent problems. From human resource strategy development to human resource recruitment, they do it all. Their clients recognize the importance of having a strong culture resulting in an aligned, motivated, and engaged workforce. They're committed from the very top to doing the right thing and to doing, doing things right. Um, known for his ability to quickly build trust and credibility with his clients and colleagues, Peter Rosen, a thoughtful and practical human resource executive and consultant, has a unique capacity to understand and assimilate into a variety of corporate cultures at different stages of the corporate life cycle. With over 25 years of experience in both domestic and international companies, he's able to tailor his approach to specific HR situations and translate his larger corporate experience into startup and growing environments. His contagious enthusiasm and optimism make working with him a pleasurable experience. Peter's easygoing manner and hands-on approach helps him connect with people, understand their needs, and gain buy-in for strategies and strengthen both organizations and individuals. And he's going to bring the goods today 
Uh, Peter, thanks so much for uh, for coming on the program. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks for for mentioning that. I wasn't going to miss this for for anything. Um, so before we get started, I have to. I, I noticed something today as I was preparing for the show. Um, you and I have something in common, and that we are both Big East guys. Um, you actually hold a law degree from St. John's University, do you not? I I do. Um, so you, you and I hearken back to the days when Big East basketball actually meant something. I'm a Hoya myself, um, so we we go back to the days of uh, of of Chris Mullen and Patrick Ewing battling it out <laughs> in the uh, in the Big East, and later Alonzo Mourning and so forth. But um, <clears throat> that was a that was a different time. So, do you find that that your that your law degree comes into play at all anymore with uh, with what you do in human resources? Yes, absolutely. It, it, was, it was interesting because when my career got started, I was actually a trial attorney down here uh, with the federal government with the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. Oh. And I was a litigator, um, in a sense, litigating charges of discrimination brought by employees of companies like um, Georgia Power Company, a lot of the big, big organizations back at the time. And unbeknownst, well, unbeknownst to me, there was another large corporation here called the Coca-Cola Company, who was beginning to experience some of the strains of discrimination, affirmative action, and they were looking to start a, an, at the time it was called an EEO department. And I, somebody reached out to me and I interviewed and I got hired. And the position ended up being in the HR department, not the legal department. So over the years, I have always kept up my legal knowledge. And I was a member. Now I'm an inactive member of the bar because I get a lot of referrals from employment lawyers. And so I don't compete with them whatsoever. But I think my last five years at at Coca-Cola, I was the head of HR for Europe and Africa. So that's how I got into the human resource piece of things. Well, I'll say, um, I, I did not know that. So I'm glad you brought some, some color to that. So um, you're a, a bigger expert than I thought. So again, thanks for coming on the program. Um, the first question, let, let's, I want to establish kind of a foundation here for the rest of our conversation. Um, and, and so let's start off with, with this. Why do you, why do companies find or managers find that they have to fire people? You have about two hours for me to list the reasons <laughs> why companies could uh, decide to fire somebody. I've got the time if you do. It's not like there's a restaurant I can go get lunch at. <laughs> That's why I have my coffee right here next to me. The um, it could be anything from performance. A bad hire, you know, the company made a mistake in hiring. It could be the person is a total jerk, which, by the way, is um, very often the reason why companies would fire somebody. Uh, They could be toxic. They could be a bully. They are violating company policy. They could be sexually harassing. Uh, So there are just so many reasons why a company would want to or choose to fire somebody. And, and the common thread among all those things is that they, they, they pose, in effect, a clear and present danger to the ongoing viability of the company. Is that, is that a fair way to wrap that up? Yes. And the smaller the company, the bigger the impact. With larger companies, you know, a lot of these toxic employees or, or poor performers may be in a particular department, the accounting department, marketing department. So th- that's the group that typically would be impacted, but it's not the whole corporation. So, you know, most of the people that I, that I interface with, work with, uh, work for, um, to a person, thankfully, I-, I think they find it very difficult to fire people. And we'll, we'll come back to why that, that isn't necessarily the best <laughs> thing in the world. Um, but does anybody find firing easy? I don't, I would hope not. 
first of all, I would hope nobody finds fire. I guess there's the odd psychopath out there that just sort of likes just likes firing people, well, I guess. But I, I think most say, people uh, approach firing from a place of a lot of consternation, right? A very insecure um, boss or ego-driven person actually would probably enjoy it, but it's their only way to uh, avoid conflict or, or avoid challenge because they're insecure. That's when they may like doing it. So, um, you know, for, for for those of us who are who are maybe you know, I want I don't want to say those of us. That's going to be misinterpreted. Um, you know, what what are the dangers or risks of firing somebody? And I want to ask this from a, sort of a two dimensional perspective. One is, what do most people think the dangers and risk of firing someone is or are? Um, and then what are they in in actuality? Can can is is is, fi- is are the the risks and dynamics of firing somebody um, in actuality? Do they do they meet up with with kind of the the anxiety that somebody feels before they're going to pull the trigger on that? It really depends on how the firing occurs. And there are risks to firing somebody. There are probably greater risks to not firing somebody if, if in, in fact, it's appropriate. And we can get in, in, in into it later. The, the different ways you can accommodate somebody that you want to fire, but given our legal environment and, 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 and the risks of that, there are ways to address it to minimize but not eliminate the risks. So there's a widely used expression of hiring slowly and firing quickly. I think I heard it coined that uh, out, out in Silicon Valley, but that may not necessarily be the origin. Um, but can you describe kind of what that means? I'm, I assume you're familiar with the expression. And do you agree with that, with that philosophy? I am familiar with the expression. I generally do agree with it. And I have the most important thing is the hiring process. And I work with a lot of my clients on developing a more robust hiring process to really better assess candidates, to really understand what you are looking for for a person to bring to the organization. And, and we don't slow it down, but we make it very robust. And I'm actually involved in the final interviews with a lot of my clients. And I also make it very clear that, and, and my the CEOs and business owners agree, that the hiring manager is the one that's actually responsible for the decision to hire. What the process is doing is giving them more information and more data on which to uh, make the, make their decision, and they're not doing it based on, you know, they just like the person or they they were referred by somebody. So it's a very thorough process. So that's where the term comes: hire slow, fire quick. Now, fire quick seems a little. Uh, I'm not sure I agree with that terminology, but I have been a student of terminations and firings pretty much my whole career. And there are studies out there, too, where, where when any time there's a big change in an organization or you ask a business owner or a CEO, OK, you've had a great career. What would you have done differently in, in, your, in your career? What would be one of the biggest mistakes or things you would have done differently? And inevitably, it's I should have gotten rid of certain people a lot quicker. Um. Now, you know, interesting on on the uh, on the hiring practice. I I thoroughly agree with that with that practice. I um, uh, even when I bring in somebody that is is junior, very junior in our organization, I still do like to have them meet a lot of people. And, and some of my colleagues do look at me like I'm an escape mental patient <laughs> when I'm using partner time to have them. Um, uh, you know, interview and, and, and spend a day for, you know, what is in effect an entry level position. 
but but I, I I agree with with your observation. Just just having different perspectives, different information, um, lots of information, I, I think makes the likelihood of a successful hire um, uh, so much greater. And, and you also you also learn something about an applicant too when you take a slow hiring process. I think, um, and maybe this will be a different a different uh, topic in a program, but. Yeah, I think you learn a little bit about how committed the employee is to pursuing the process. You learn about their patience. You learn about their mental toughness and their 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 mental stamina. You learn about their emotional stability. Um, and and it like you, I think you correctly point out, it's not about hiring slowly, but it's about hiring thoroughly. But hiring thoroughly necessitates do, slowing things down just a little bit, I guess. Yes. And, and again, it becomes very logistical. You can move it fairly quickly because I have found the, um, again, for the hiring manager, the debriefing sessions, because I also, I am a big advocate of what I call group interviews, more than two or three or four people from the company interviewing the candidate at the same time. Number one, that's more efficient. Number two, it avoids a candidate going from person to person being asked the same questions by um, people that are not really very good at interviewing. And that could turn off a good candidate to the company. The other thing too, is that I, there's an exercise we can get into later that I work with my business owners and and executives. It's called the ABC uh, exercise, but let's just for now, an A player is your top player, you know, the, the person that represents the culture, they're performing, everybody loves working with them. The only people you want in interviews are your A players, because the B and C players are going to end up being threatened by good, uh, and, it, and it comes across, it's amazing how it comes across in an interview where they start challenging the person and, and, and it becomes very uncomfortable. So Setting up the the hiring process is the key to reducing the need to fire people. Um, so I think in most cases, and we'll we'll talk about the other scenario in a second, but in most cases, the decision to fire usually comes, and again, we're talking about firing somebody for underperformance, not not because of economic necessity that just creates a mass layoff scenario. Um, but, but, but for performance, um, you know, most companies do try to give an employee an opportunity to make corrections before firing them. Um, part of that I think is a legal consideration. Part of that I think is a good business practice. Um, in, in your experience, how much time or for, you know, lack of a better term, how much rope should you give an employee to make those corrections before you decide? you know, um, well, you know, this just isn't going to work out. We, we got to make a change here. It really depends on the performance issue. Let's use an example of somebody that is just has a history of getting things, you know, projects or whatever part of a project they're working on uh, late. They're late in, in getting things done. They don't meet deadlines. That is worth uh, confronting directly, saying, from now on, if you're not going to meet a deadline, you need to let us know because they hadn't been letting them know. And you're you're basically on final warning because we can't afford, it's not, it's not fair to anybody else. You give them the chance, you give them whatever, well, the 30 days, and the first time during that 30 days, if they're late, say, listen, we, we, we already warned you, uh, it's time to move on. So, you know, that, that brings to mind, you know, the depends, I think, brings to mind uh, different scenarios. One scenario, it seems like, is, is there's a, there's a performance, there's an issue of performance in terms of how you, ca- how you go about your business that's sort of behavioral, right? Um, whether it's, it's time management, whether it's communication, as you point out here. And then there can be underlying issues where, um, Maybe the person has good, quote, work habits, but maybe they don't have quite the skill set that you thought they did 
when you interviewed them and they 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 walk through the door, right? Maybe there's a, a flaw in interviewing or bad job description or you know something something happened, right? And 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 maybe the issue is go or maybe it is a maybe it is a a behavioral issue, but training is required. Um, does that timeline get altered perhaps if if it's if it's a, a, a an issue that you think might be remediated with training versus you know, hey, this is not going well, fix it. If it is a particular process or um, skill set that training could lend itself to, as long as the person has a good attitude, it's worth trying it. But if the company made a mistake in hiring the person, you know, they, they thought the job, and this happens a lot in smaller companies, they thought they were really looking for this when in fact they really needed that. And if they made a mistake, what you do is you sit down with the employee and say, listen, this is not working out. We want to be fair to you. We, uh, we'll, we'll give you, you know, 30 days of severance to help you look for another role. But we, we do need to part ways. So um, let's, let's go back to the first issue where there's a, you know, there's a, there's a fundamental issue it's not necessarily a hiring mistake, but it's a, it's a, uh, you know, something that is fundamental to the way the employee approaches their, uh, approaches their job. And if you've done things right, you've, you've issued some kind of warning. There's been some kind of review process that makes it known to the employee that they're, I guess, for lack of a better term in effect on notice. Um, I'm curious in that scenario, how often is it that employees actually then take that and are able to make the meaningful corrections that stick versus, you know, once you get to that point, um, you know, do, do, do a lot or most of most employees really kind of, kind of never make it. Does that question make any sense? Yeah. Well, I, I think statistically, and I, I will not um, swear to this, but statistically from my experience, I would say, more employees don't make it than make it. And again, I work That's with my, my belief too. And, and I think there is probably, if, there, if there's data out there, and there probably is, um, it, it's going to support that. With performance reviews, and I work with a lot of my companies too, and, and there's a lot of, there are a lot of good performance review um, systems out there or HR systems that have performance reviews built into them. And one in particular, which I, I'm, I really like, but it includes quarterly peer feedback. And it is so eye-opening to hear, you know, the peers talk about, you know, and you sit down, hey, listen, you know, you, you'd be subtle, you'd be discreet. You didn't say, hey, Bob said this about you. But it gives the manager, hey, wait a second, this person has really not been working well with the, the graphics department or, or this and that. And you, you then you you have to deal with that. And if it's not addressed, and again, I think most times it's not. I mean, it's addressed but not not corrected. Then you have the documentation and the reason to make the move. Um, I want to touch upon something that you you mentioned because I th- I think this is very important. You know, when when it becomes necessary to fire an employee, and if you kind of look back and do a uh, a post-mortem, if you will, or a after-action analysis. Um, how often is it that the employee may well have been fine, but but the employer just simply made made the wrong hire, right? Maybe they made a poor evaluation. They didn't ask the right interview questions, or maybe they just they tried to take shortcuts, you know, talk again about hiring too quickly. You know, maybe they, they didn't do the diligence such as checking references, you know, how, how often is it that the company's fault that they've got the, the square peg in the round hole? I would say it happens frequently. Um, and, and do you agree that it happens frequently because is it, is it because, I mean, there are a few reasons, you know, and, and sometimes I see this, um, there's a danger of this, even in my own firm. I'm not going to tell you that it's, it's actually true, but I, I know there's a danger here. Is it, does it, does it happen because 
when you feel like you're understaffed, that, that people think about just sort of the warm body and, and we'll figure it out? Or do employers have underdeveloped talent acquisition, acquisition skills? Um, or, or, you know, some other systemic issue within the, within the firm that leads to these outcomes? I would say that the, there's a lacking of recognizing the importance of doing it right. It, it, and they're just, I mean, I'm, I'm a lot of the, you know, type, especially in professional service firms like, like you, like your, your firm, there are a lot of people, a lot of consultants, and I work for Capital One for a number of years, and and they were made up of all these McKinsey and um, you know Boston Consulting Group people that got paid to be right. And when the hiring decision, when somebody in a professional services firm, they just trust their own um, judgment, you know, rightfully or wrongfully. I'm right. I, I made my assessment, and they don't really value the input that get, they would get from so many other sources. They just want to get it done. And then, then when it's on the back end, that's when the problems occur. And another benefit of having a little more robust hiring process is you give the, the candidate more time to really see the culture and the organization. So they ultimately can make a better decision for themselves. You know, I think there's a lot to, I think there's, there's a lot to that self-selection. And I think it, I think it comes in two places. You know, one, if a, um, uh, you, you'd like a candidate to kind of withdraw if, if they see that there's, there's not a good fit, um, in advance. And I also think, you know, going back to, going back to the negative review, you know, I, I, I would like, I would like an, empl- an employee, particularly if the employee thinks they're doing a good job, right? And then you tell them that they're not. Um, you know, I, I would like to see an employee then kind of put their resume out on the street at that point, right? Because if, if, if the, it's, it's one thing, and, and there are people who can be, who can be self-aware and you say, hey, look, you're not doing, you know, things one, two, and three, you need to fix them. And, and there are people that will deny and say, no, I'm doing a great job, right? No, you're out of order. Um, yeah. but, but on the other hand, there are people that say, you know, uh, you know, I, 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 I think I'm okay, but this is, this really is a warning shot and, and maybe I'm just going to make everybody's job easier and, and find a better fit for myself. Do you think there's something to that? Uh, yes, it happens uh, very often. And I have a couple of clients who, whose, um, owner and the, or, or the CEO will work with somebody and say, listen, you know, you're a good person. This is not, you know, it's just not working out. Start looking for a job. Here's, you know, maybe we'll limit, you know, their, uh, their function a little bit because where they're not, we don't want them to continue where they're not performing and, and do the right thing. And especially when other employees in that organization really know that this person has been trying hard, they're a decent person. Because every time you fire or don't fire a person, there are a lot of repercussions within the organization. Yeah, and you know, in, in our industry in accounting, we have a term called counseling out. Um, mm-hmm. You know, for, for the most part, we, we try to avoid the Dr. Evil scenario where you, you push a button and the person <laughs> disappears through a trap door on the floor and there's fire that sort of burns them on the way out. But we try to have that conversation, say, hey, look, you know, it's it's it for whatever reason, you know, it, it's not working out. But, you know, let, let's let's do this discreetly and give you some time to find something new because it's easier to find a job when when you already have one. And, you know, it doesn't it doesn't mean the person's you know a bad person. You know, in our industry, public accounting is hard um, and public accounting, particularly for busy season, the mental and physical rigors of 55 plus billable hours from January 1st until April 15th. Um, that is not for everyone. And, and, you know, for, for somebody who's entry level, you may think you're ready for it, but you don't know if you're ready for it until it actually happens. And for other people, 
maybe you're ready for it when you're age 23, but then you're age 27, you're married, you have a kid, life changes, right? And, 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 and maybe you have decided that accounting is not going to be your thing. You don't want to make part. Um, doesn't make you a bad person. Doesn't make you incompetent. It just means that, 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 that a mismatch has developed from the demands of the job versus what you're able and willing to provide provide to it. And so I think that I think that model of counseling people out, uh, I, I think is one that works well, uh, is one that that works well for us. Um, there are so many different ways to um, to have a person leave. And that's why it becomes so situational and so dependent on the organization, the culture, the person. And you remember, um, I know you remember Jack Welch, Yep. And Jack Jack Welch had this matrix. Yeah, I think it was called the culture performance matrix. And and like if you have a, an employee that was performing really well and they were really a great guy that you know they they lived the culture, that's a no-brainer. You that that person you need to figure out a way to keep them. Then you have on the other hand the person is totally underperforming and they're a jerk. That also becomes very simple. You get rid of them. The questions, the difficulty becomes the person that is, and this happens very often in sales, they're a rainmaker performing like gangbusters, but they are abusive. They're toxic. They, they, you know, they have high turnover. I mean, I don't find it that difficult, by the way, to make that decision, but a lot of business owners who's dependent on the revenue would have some difficulty making that decision. And then there is the person that is really, again, lives the culture, you know, accepts the values. Everybody loves working with them, but they're just in the wrong job. You know, that's the person you give another uh, shot to, to try to find another role for them. Yeah. You know, the, 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 it's interesting you bring up the sales role because it's, it's so hard to walk away from from revenue, right? The, 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 the key uh, worry, I think, in every business leader's mind is, am I, you know, am I going to be generating enough revenue? And it's the thing that I, what, the thing that I wake up every morning worried about um, is, you know, do I have enough projects to keep my people uh, busy and engaged and to generate ROI of our department? Um, thing I worry about when I wake up in the morning, thing I worry about before I go to sleep at night. Um, and, and in addition, because it's so hard to hire a competent salesperson, um, I, I do think that employees probably wind up giving salespeople a lot more leeway than than perhaps they should because of the, the perceived scarcity of that skill set of someone who can actually sell and wants to do it. Um, but that other part of the matrix um, uh brings a, a question up that I, I want to ask anyway. So it's a great segue, which is what about the employee that, that isn't an, an obvious fire, right? That's in the lower left-hand quadrant, <clears throat> but, you know, is, it seems like a worthwhile person has sort of the right attitude is smart. Um, are, are there realistic alternatives to firing that person? Maybe it's, finding him a new job, maybe it's additional training, maybe it's something else, right? Are there other are there other alternatives that could be looked at so that you can salvage that asset? The answer is yes and no. Uh, on my on my website and one of my um, articles, I, and I, I don't I didn't write the article, but I've I contributed to, contributed towards it. It was called the uh, the transfer trap. And Back in the old day, and I think it's still occurring now, if somebody was an issue, they just moved them to a different department and let that other department um, deal with it. That's usually in larger corporations. That's the transfer trap. And that person, that's because they just didn't, they wanted, they didn't want to fire him because they were uncomfortable, conflict avoidant, or fearful of, you know, legal risks, whatever, whatever the reason may be. That is... uh, all you're doing is taking a toxic particle and exposing it to more parts of the organization. Um, 
Yeah, so just just shunting a problem from one from one person to another, basically, um, and maybe because you don't have the guts to pull the trigger yourself. Yeah, and back um, and back in the day, and I hope it's not done as much anymore. But the um, the receptacle for problem employees was HR. Yeah, and if you remember during the FBI issue. Um, I don't know, three years ago, I was struck or something. One of them was uh, taken out of his role and was assigned to the Human Resources Department. Really? Yes. So, so I guess it still occurs. Interesting. Um, so one of the things I think most business owners and executives are 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 familiar with, at least, is is the need for some kind of documentation prior to firing an employee, right? Because there is some, there is some legal exposure that we have to be aware of. Um, you've been on the prosecuting end of some of that as, uh, as we just, as I just learned um, at the start of this interview. Um, how much, how much documentation do, do you need to protect yourself prior to firing an employee? The most important, is the documentation that you need is consistent for every employee that gets terminated. The amount of documentation also um, decreases the higher up you are in the organization. If somebody is performing, you know, um, more day-to-day tasks, you know, that could be measured, you know, then you need to document, you know, not getting things in on time and things like that. But as long as you end up letting the person know and you've, you're consistent in how you apply it through all your organizations, then I mean, through all your, you know, with all your people, you should be fine. That doesn't mean you're you're not going to get a charge or a a lawsuit against you, but the point is you're just doing it the right way. Yeah. And the higher you are, if it's it's usually not usually it's a personality issue it's a a bullying issue it's a communications issue it's more interpersonal the higher you go typically so um now that is an ideal world you want to kind of have that have some some sort of documentation that presumably describe again you're 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 talking about having a consistent firing process. I imagine also there's some documentation to, to document that, that you have communicated concerns about performance prior to firing somebody. Right. Um, you know, and, and, and it's important to point out that, that, you know, a, a lawsuit is always, I think a lawsuit is always a risk, right? Because at the end of the day, all you need, to to levy a lawsuit are uh, is a lawyer and a judge that's willing to take the case and uh, if you get those two things it's going to be a lawsuit regardless of the uh, of the merits of the case and it's it's rare to get them dismissed um but but what if you don't have the documentation and and that may arise for a number of reasons and I'll get to one in a minute <laughs> But, you know, maybe you're just a small organization or maybe you just, frankly, you're not that great at HR um, or you've expanded very rapidly. And, and again, you just don't have the documentation. Does that mean that the, 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 the problem employee gets a free pass because you don't have the documentation to back it up or you have to wait until documentation can catch up? I and mean, if you're in that position, what, what does that, that decision process look like now? Okay, well, since the, the the company put themselves in that position, you have to adapt. And one way to adapt is say, okay, do I want a lawsuit or a or a charge, an EEOC charge, whatever it may be, you know, age, race, sex, um, whatever it may be, or uh, do I want to pay some severance pay and offering, you know, this person, knowing that, hey, I screwed up as a company. Therefore, it's going to cost me, but it's going to cost me a lot less than if I have to deal with with a lawsuit. So you just have to pay for it in a different way. Um, 
So I want to ask a question about a so-called zero tolerance policy. And I think we've heard that term a lot in the, uh, in the Me Too uh, movement. Uh, but you hear, the, you hear the term pop up a lot uh, elsewhere. Um, and, you know, the question I want to ask is this, is, is a zero tolerance policy truly sustainable or more than anything, is, is that just sort of a, a, a buzzword that in reality gets nuanced somewhat? Uh, probably. Now, there is a niche of my business that I, I, I had not mentioned which is I do third-party independent investigations of third-party uh, of uh, employee complaints. Oh, I'm I'm brought in either uh, because of my background and uh, whatever I'm brought in either by the employment lawyer themselves or by the company. So as you mentioned, zero tolerance. If there is an allegation, zero tolerance uh, can go as far as is an allegation. Okay, you get rid of them. Uh, that to me is a horrible culture of the organization. What you do is you take an allegation seriously. You have it investigated either internally or through somebody like me. And then I would end up making a recommendation, a third party recommendation on, because very often you're going to find out that this was an isolated incident or there's a, there's a pattern of it. So you're really not dealing with zero tolerance. You're actually the investigate, investigation is enabling you to dig deeper into the, the pattern or lack of, lack of pattern. So I don't agree. I don't support in any way zero tolerance. But if somebody is found to have done something egregious after you've investigated it, then I would definitely support termination. Peter, so you know what, what you're talking about is interesting because I hadn't I hadn't really thought about it in this way, but it, I think it makes it, it it makes sense when when companies use the term zero tolerance policy, what they really mean is presumption of guilt on the part of the person that's accused, and and that's not the same thing necessarily. I mean, I guess it is a zero tolerance policy, but it's a hyper zero tolerance policy as opposed to a much more as opposed to a much more constructive application of zero tolerance policy in which there's an actual fact-finding process um, uh, in, 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 in trying to ascertain whether or not there actually is merit to the accusation, accusations rather than just simply assuming they're true and, and firing somebody and creating exposure that you don't necessarily need to do. It's a company that is committed to taking employee complaints or allegations very seriously, but yet at the same time will bring in an independent investigator to dig deeper and provide the company with the facts that they need to know to whether on how they go, how they're going to respond. So, um, we're going to wrap up here. We're, we're running out of time. I want to be respectful. I know you have a lot of other things you got to do today, but um, a question I want to make sure that I sneak in here is should you fire an employee for one mistake? You know, we, we've seen the TV shows. Somebody makes one mess up and, and they wind up getting let go. Can that, does that happen? Is there a case for that to happen in the real world? Or is that just something that makes good TV theater? You know, it's like anything else. It depends, but but generally, my answer would be: we all make mistakes. Now, if somebody makes a mistake and it's an obvious mistake, and they don't have the emotional intelligence or or the self awareness to accept the fact that they made a mistake and learn from it, that's a whole other issue. So, I would generally say no. Um, firing for one mistake again, it's an outburst where you uh, somebody punches somebody in the workplace. That is probably um, a, a termination for one mistake is, is appropriate. Yep. So um, as we have this interview on, uh, on April 10th, 2020, we're in an unprecedented economy an unprecedented labor market and, and one that there's a lot of imbalance. As I mentioned at the outset, 
Um, we have a lot of people that suddenly found themselves jobless through no fault of their own or even their businesses. Um, and on the other hand, if you're in the right industry, um, you cannot hire people uh, fast enough. And, and there's a perception that maybe you do need just sort of, of warm bodies. Um, in that kind of environment, does that change the firing dynamic in, in any way? Does, does, an, does an underperforming employee perversely have uh, unusual leverage because you just sort of have to have a pair of hands doing things? What, what, what's your view on that? I would be consistent to the culture that you've been wanting to have in your organization. And it, again, it varies that, that that the answer to that question really varies on the level of the employee. Now, if you're talking about a customer service rep that is maybe not as fast or as efficient as you would like, because it's so difficult to find people, then maybe you put up for with it for a while. But if you have a manager of a call center or a manager of customer service reps that is not a very good manager and causing turnover, I would still um, you act and get you you address that that situation. Peter, this has been a, a great conversation. I think our listeners are going to get a lot out of it. Uh, everybody wrestles with this problem from from time to time. Uh, the only per- people who doesn't is somebody who's never managed or fired or uh, hired somebody. Um, if somebody wants to learn more about this topic, maybe get some some advice from you, how can they contact you? Well, there are two ways. Uh, the two best ways would be my email address, which is peter.rosen, R-O-S-E-N, at hr sas.com and my website is hrsas.com so that's going to wrap it up for today's program i'd like to thank peter rosen of hr strategies and resources so much for joining us and sharing his expertise with us we'll be exploring a new topic each week so please tune in so that when you're making your next executive decision you have clear vision when making it if you enjoy these podcasts please consider leaving a review with your favorite podcast aggregator. It helps people find us that we can help them. Once again, this is Mike Blake. Our sponsor is Brady Ware and Company, and this has been the Decision Vision Podcast.